Welcome to the Line of Sight Gaming Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of the Line of Sight Gaming Podcast. My name is Jaden, and I'm here with Brett. Hello. I am here. Yeah. We don't have Chandler. He just got uh, out of town for a while and uh, is not up to podcasting this evening, so hopefully he'll be back next week. As far and as... I ditched the I ditched the worm she cast. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. I'm gonna be all by myself. Um anyway, as far as news goes, we have the Rivenstone Kickstarter coming out on oh. t- sorry. Yeah, continue. Okay. We have the Rivenstone Kickstarter, which is the twenty sixth of April. Um we have Brett's got a sweet painting and review article for those models, or for some of those models up on our website. And I'm theoretically making a video about building and painting them uh seocast is siocast whatever however you pronounce that is really fascinating stuff and it'll be worth a watch so keep your eyes peeled for that you had something you wanted to say brett yeah so this is a, this is a little out of date but um we did an episode on storybook brawl and oh, yeah all right it's, it's extremely important to me that i retract my recommendation for it um i forgot to say this for the last couple of weeks but um the storybook brawl has been bought by a cryptocurrency um company and with the intent of um using the storybook brawl game and designers to make nfts more palatable to gamers um i am morally opposed to that just um, in general i think uh, chandler likes to say it's the wrong way of doing things but i'm just (laughs) but i'm even more opposed to it than that um Mm -hmm. and so we really love the game it's you should not play it anymore you should not you should certainly not put any money into it and please please don't be tricked into investing any money into it yep fair enough yeah it's sad but it is what it is at this point um mm-hmm. yeah although if you want a good laugh just go look at the steam reviews because boy <laughs> yeah they went from like over like over 95 percent positive to last i checked it was 17 percent positive Yep, that's a pretty good, pretty good fall there. Um, also, if you ever want a good laugh, go join their Discord and go look at the crypto channel. It's really funny. Um, yeah, See, what is that? What is it now? Uh, it is now fourteen percent of reviews in the last thirty days were positive. Yikes! That's uh, what's this overall now? Sixty-three percent. Jeez. That's <laughs> well, I mean, bad. Chandler and I both turned both turned our reviews uh, negative. Oh yeah, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Um, as far as other announcements go, I think that's pretty much it. So, yeah, like guys, we don't have anything new coming out. Um. Oh, uh, also on the last cast where we talked a lot about Rivenstone. We failed to mention that we have a wonderful Rivenstone podcast on our network. It's called Barracks Action. You should go check it out. It's on our website, or I believe it's on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play. So give that a look. They're very, 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 very enthusiastic about um, the game. And I believe they are the guys who did run through the Void Gate. So they run pretty good, pretty good content. And I think they have a full game recorded. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and I believe actually that they've got enough models that they're going to do another one soon. So, oh, cool. Or maybe they're just proxying. I don't know. Either way, probably. Yeah, it could be. Um, yeah. So, Rivenstone's really cool. We'll probably talk about it again when the Kickstarter happens. Heck, we might get Hungerford on to talk about it. That would be neat. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the meantime, Brett, what are we talking about today? We are talking about painting because I did a painting project yeah. and I got like halfway through it. I'm like, I'm like, Jaden, how do you do this on every model? And he's like, I, I don't. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, whenever Brett has a painting project, we end up doing a painting episode, which is good fun. <laughs> um, and today, well, actually, I'm not entirely sure what we're talking about because Brett's the one with the questions. So why don't we just kick that right off with whatever your first question is, Brett? Sure. Well, I want to start by making you go on a rant. So, um, why, why, why are people who play painted models uh, morally superior? Oh boy. 
Oh no. <laughs> uh, okay. You're making me do this. This is the perfect time to do it. I'm so tired. I don't even know what I'm saying. Um, okay. So I'm going to be reiterating a lot of things from an article that I wrote about three years ago, maybe four years ago now called you don't have to paint if you don't want to. Um, Every single thing I said in there, I still believe wholeheartedly. I went back and read it a couple of days ago because I got into an argument with somebody about this. Um, but the gist of it is as follows. There are a number of people in the hobby across all the mini games that have the belief that if you don't paint your models, you are some combination of disrespecting the hobby, disrespecting them, um, making it less attractive for new players to get into whatever game it is that they're playing, um, breaking immersion, uh, destroying the core reason to play, um, pick your, you know, there's more, but those are kind of the ones that have been common. And there's a lot of people with pretty radical solutions to this quote-unquote problem of unpainted armies including things like you should get advantages in your games which games workshop actually does in warhammer um we talked a little bit about this in our warhammer episode which i believe was episode 12 so go listen to that if you want to hear me talk about specifically that um but uh most game companies and most games don't have painted stuff as an actual like tiebreaker in tournaments. And I think that's really important. Um, first of all, we are becoming, uh, as a gaming population, we are becoming a majority where people that are getting into the hobby are coming from a background where painting your models is not something that's necessarily a given because they're very used to board games where there's lots of plastic things that don't get painted because it's a board game um now that said i, I do paint a lot of my board game minis but um yeah. and i'm doing i'm literally doing that right now but it's definitely unusual now. yeah it's definitely unusual uh, and also before we get too far into this for those of you that don't know anything about me and are just gonna immediately jump to the conclusion that i hate painting um i spend between 15 and 30 hours a week painting i absolutely adore it i've painted something like three or four thousand models in the last five years i talk about painting a lot i've pushed myself really hard to get better at it i look at things for with a critical painting eye all the time like constantly i'm just trying to push myself to improve and i really really like painting so this isn't a painting's terrible nobody should paint kind of thing this is a uh, i respectfully disagree with everybody who thinks that painting is a mandatory part of the hobby kind of thing and if if you want more proof you can go to our website and look at any of the hobby galleries that have my name on them any of the Jaden's whatever stuff and you can look at things that I've painted across the last five odd years since we started the website uh, not everything by any margin but some of them um, all right so that's that's out of the way the other thing is that miniature gaming is a very very expensive hobby um, that's just the gaming side of things. So let's break down real fast. I think the cheapest one to get into is Marvel Crisis Protocol. Is that... <laughs> I've spent so much money on Marvel Crisis Protocol. <laughs> yeah, I'm aware, but not everybody plays <laughs> the games like you play, Brett. Um, and I'm just talking about intro cost to play a full game. All right. Yeah. So it's the... half. Well, I guess you need it's only one person per core box. Yeah. So if you're going to play. Like, really, all you need in Marvel Crisis Protocol is the core box, which is pretty nuts. And that's $100. And you can literally just play, um, like... 100 MSRP. You can easily get it for 80 Oh, yeah. And Amazon puts it on sale for 50 quite often. Mm -hmm. um, so that's 50 to $100. It gives you 10 models, which is really all you need for a roster. Two affiliations. Most of the tactics cards you could want. Like, there's a few that you'll definitely want that aren't in there, but... Oh, well. Um... It gives you enough terrain for like half of a table, pretty much. Um, and it gives you all the mo movement and measurement widgets you need and all the rules and like a link to the advanced rules and most of the tokens. Actually, all the tokens you need for things in the core set. Yes. And yeah, it's fantastic value. It's $100. And 
most miniature wargamers go, oh yeah, that's super cheap, and I just want to have a reality check here for everybody. That's like half of my fam, like a third of my family's food budget every month. It's not that cheap, right? Um, yeah, I mean that's two full video games. Yeah, yeah, two two full like AAA title. Maybe not quite at this mm-hmm. point because they're they're getting more expensive. Um, mm-hmm. Or you know. So that's that's the first thing, and that's the cheapest one. Now, also, if you want to play that game at a competitive level, you probably need to buy like four or five more boxes, which MSRP at forty dollars each. So now we're another two hundred dollars in, so we're at three hundred dollars MSRP to get in, and I think that's still probably cheaper than most of the other games that we're going to talk about. Um, if you look at something like Infinity, which is one of the other cheaper games to get into, you can still be pretty happily into the multiple hundreds of dollars even with their discounted starter boxes to play some of the factions not all of them but some of them uh you can get into like the the sub factions for quite a bit cheaper like i think there's a really good uh 300 point starter box for a few of the like um combined army ones that's how i got in originally uh, mm-hmm. but again uh now well you brought sorry. up you brought up the point that um the Marvel box contains terrain, which is a huge expense for Infinity, especially. Yes. And one other thing that I actually want to mention about the Marvel box, it does not come with uh, spruce nips or plastic glue or uh, mm. a, an X-Acto knife. So that is another probably $35, $40 right there on top of it. And that's cheap because for Infinity, you need spruce nips that can handle metal, which is a much more expensive piece of equipment uh you still need an exacto knife you need super glue you probably want to pin vice you probably need pins if you're going to get that pin vice um and well, you need and basing material even, for the bases sorry go ahead yeah and even if that wasn't like just a strict monetary thing like the skill level required mm-hmm. yeah the skill level to assemble infinity models is very much higher than it is to assemble hard plastic kits for the most part we're going to ignore the fact that Ultron and Iron Man exist in the core box <laughs> because they suck, but they're also easier to build and more forgiving than the average metal model because metal models, if they don't fit together correctly, you have to be very careful and shave down the connection point until it does. Um, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a skill. It's definitely something you can hurt yourself pretty badly doing if you're not careful. Um, See my article that wasn't even a metal model, <laughs> right? Uh, and that's, you know, the next easiest, cheapest thing to get into. And we're still talking. Oh, and then on top of that, you also still need to play infinity. You need a tape measure and you need, um, either a printer or a phone or tablet that can handle their app. Um, Mm -hmm. because they don't sell their cards with the models and you you can't play the game without the wiki, or at least you couldn't last edition. Right. So that's Infinity. Then there's something like Malifaux, which looks like it should be super cheap to get into, but ends up being ridiculously expensive because you want your entire faction. Yeah, um, that's... I would not say Malifaux is a cheap game. Yeah, but again, you can get into it for probably, what, $200? Uh, Yeah, for one army. Yeah, all right. So that's like a reasonable little, little force for that. Uh, again, yeah, you still need a tape measure. You still need um, plastic brain. glue and terrain that doesn't come with it and Malifaux terrain can be very involved um or it cannot be depends yeah. um yeah well Malifaux has the, the rules for that you can use pretty much anything right then you come to the next most expensive thing which is probably okay so i mean we're we're missing a bunch like monpox probably next yeah we're just going with like one game from each company as far as i'm concerned though oh okay um they're they're probably the flagship now here's okay. the end. Sorry, go ahead. Well, so yeah, these are all the cheap ones. It gets much, much more expensive. Yeah. Um, why is that relevant to the paint? Okay, so here's here's the next part of that. So first of all, to get into a game like this, it's somewhere between two and four hundred dollars just to buy the models and the things to build the models. And if you're gonna have to supply the things to play on top of like a mat and the terrain, it gets more expensive on top of that. Now, on my desk, hold on. 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26, 28, 30, 34, 38. I have 46 pots of paint. Um, mm. I have probably another 
150 in the drawers next to my desk. Um, each one of those pots of paints retails for four to five dollars. Uh, yeah. Hey, even the cheapest ones are like three. Yeah, the cheapest ones, which are the worst quality ones, are three. Now, you can absolutely paint your stuff with craft paint, but it will feel bad and it will look bad almost universally. Um, and yeah, that's just the paint. Now, on top of that, if you want any decent brush, you're going to be paying, I don't know. I actually have no idea what intro brushes are like because I haven't bought any for a long time. But I think you can probably get like a reasonable brush for like three or four dollars. But mm-hmm. you're going to need several of them because they'll wear out quickly. Um, so let's say... Yeah, and and sorry, you need more than one size, I found out when yep, I started yep. painting. You want two or three different sizes. So let's say for like a starting army, you want about 20 paints. Because I think you probably will want like four or five different metallic colors. Because you're not going to start with non-metallic metals. You're going to want two or three of each main color. So that's another mm, 10 to 15 right there. And then honestly, you want a ton of browns. Like, browns are really useful, and so are grays. Um, so, you know, 20-odd paints, that's 80 to $100. You're going to need three or four paintbrushes. That's another cheap end $10, expensive end $60. You need a palette, which can be really cheap if you just want a plastic thing that's like $2, but it's also effectively useless, um, aside from very specific things. And so if you want a wet palette, you're going to have to shell out the money to either make or buy one. Uh, it's another like 5 to $10. And then, and here's where it gets really expensive, you have to spend hours painting your stuff. And most people either don't have those hours or have to choose between playing the game and painting for the game because they only get a certain number of them per week. Um, to put this in perspective, uh, like if I was to charge what I charge for private music lessons to paint models, I would charge $200 to paint a 30 millimeter base model to a reasonable standard. So every time I paint a 30 millimeter model to a standard that I like, I'm effectively wasting, you know, $150, $200 of time that I have for that. And now, I don't think of it as a waste because it's something that I love to do and I love to practice it. Not everybody does. And to them, it will absolutely feel like a waste. And people keeping track of the math here might notice that we have just doubled the cost of entry into the hobby from where it was just for models. That's bad. Um, yeah. Because then you have to... Like you have to go through all these hoops. Why would you jump through them all to play the game? Like you, you, you want to go the other direction. You want to love the game and then want to do this. Right. And the other thing is this makes it harder to get people to, well, if you're honest about it up front, it gets, it, it gets harder to get people into the game. Um, it can be a significant barrier to entry for new players uh, in tons and tons of ways like people that have never touched a mini game before it's a lot easier to get people who already play mini games into a new mini game than it is to get people who don't play mini games into a mini game the first time you show the sticker price of either models or paints to somebody who's not from this world they do not believe you like flat out they won't because it is that alien to them and i think we forget that a lot as people that are on the inside of the hobby that from the outside looking in, we look like absolute morons for putting this much time and money into this stuff. I would say suckers. <laughs> sure. Suckers. Yeah, my wife is emphatically nodding her head, despite the fact that she's got like $150 of paints on her desk right now, too. Hey, just because you tricked her into it doesn't mean that she's that that, that you're any less tricked. That's true. Yeah, fair. Um, so all this is to say that I think painting requirements for local play is really bad for the hobby and the sort of elitist attitude of people that demand people have painted stuff in order to play with them or like, or going to make snide comments about it during games is really, really, really awful. Now. Yeah. uh, That, I think that's the biggest problem. I want to emphasize that is, um, 
Like, if you agree to do this and everyone's up for it, that's fine. The problem is the way it's enforced is just basically being rude to people, being rude to new players, being rude to people who aren't, you know, who don't have the time or money or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, like, I'm going to use myself as an example because I know myself. Um, I really was hesitant to start playing 40K because 10% of your points every game are painted points, right? Now... At a casual local level, you don't have to follow that, and that's great. And my friends were like, yeah, don't worry about it. You'll paint your stuff eventually because you're you're jaded and you'll paint your stuff. But the second that I got invited to come to a tournament, I had to drop every other project I had and focus on painting my list for like two months just to feel like I had a reasonable chance of performing well. And actually, every single game that I won... No, that's not true. Three, two out of three games that I won at that event were by sub 10 points. So I would have lost if I had not painted my army. Um, I would have lost four out of five games instead of two out of five games, which like I'm not the average new player to a game. I've played a lot of games. I'm pretty thick skinned when it comes to losing. But imagine coming into that as a new player. Mm hmm. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is this was like a 36-person event that I knew ahead of time was going to be fully painted because it was like a big deal tournament. But um, and, and for those kinds of events, if you're advertising it ahead of time, like most new players shouldn't be playing at big tournaments like that anyway. Um, at least not quickly. But if they are, you should be able to make some sort of concession to that, right? Like, I've been playing for three months. I don't have my army painted. Do I have to not lose these 10 points? That would be cool to have some sort of exception in there. Um, and for local level stuff, like eight person, like this is a weeknight kind of, we're just going to have an event real fast kinds of things. There's no way that should be enforced. Think about how hard that would be as a new player to come into that and go, well, I don't really want to play this little mini event you guys are playing in because I'm just going to lose every game because I'm not painted. Right. Or, you know, Geronimo over there is going to make fun of me for not having painted models and whine about how I'm breaking his immersion. Like, why would I do this? I'm going to go play magic or video games or something else. Board games. Board games. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to go see a movie, you know, like all of these much lower investment things that are a lot easier to justify to yourself than, than this. So I do really like, events that have best painted as a like prize i appreciate those a lot as i've become less I like of a when they get a player i like i like when um i think Olvio does this where it's like if you're fully painted um you you get like a raffle ticket yep like you're you're encouraged to do it you're not punished for not doing it right yeah that's really cool and and there's like no reason to not have some sort of best painted thing right now, the flip side of that even, and now this is the part where it gets complicated and we can't just have an absolute answer because there's no perfect answer to this. But yeah, if there's some dude in your meta that's just way better at painting than everybody else, they're going to win a lot. Maybe that's fine, right? And maybe... Well, that's, you, that's why raffle tickets are so great. Same that, thing happens with non-painting prizes. Yes, raffle tickets are also fantastic for this. And yeah, like if, if, uh, if your group has like a clearly better player then maybe first place should be a little bit smaller and there should be more raffle tickets or something but there's ways to do it that don't punish people the other thing i want to mention real briefly here is you can help mitigate that ridiculous upfront cost to get into painting a lot as a community uh simply by just having group hobby nights or even better like actively reaching out to lend out stuff right consider that it's really ch much cheaper to buy like a couple okay paintbrushes from your local hobby shop or your you know craft store and then have somebody lend you some paints for a yeah. week or two um i mean heck at this point i could probably supply an extra new painter with stuff and not even really notice that it was gone for a month and it would be fine um, well, the, the advantage of the group ones is that you also teach them all the techniques that we're going <laughs> to all basically all the questions we're about to ask. Right. But the disadvantage to those is they require time and they require people to leave their house and that can be difficult. Right. Yeah. So the, the there's room for both for sure. And I really do uh, support 
everybody that wants to get better at painting. Actually, one of the things that I've been um, happiest with slash one of the things that I consider to be my best contribution to the hobby as a whole is the number of my friends that enjoy painting now compared to where they were like when I met them pretty much everybody has dramatically gone up and I that's like I don't I know that's not all on me but to myself I'm like yeah you had a little part in that that's really good um, I'm, a, I'm a great example of that um, yeah I used to do bare minimum painting or better yet um, uh, whatever it's called, commission painting mm-hmm. uh, and over the pandemic I decided that I'm actually going to what well, actually no it was before that yeah it was because it was Grimkin Yep. Um, I decided that I was actually going to learn how to paint better and try and be happy with what I come out with. And yeah. these, like the Riverstone guys came out really well. Yeah, I Took agree. Forever, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's one of the fun things about painting is that as you get better, you speed up because yeah. you a lot of the difficulty in painting, especially at first, is brush control, and you just get better at that as you do more of it. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, um, yeah, I highly support uh, painting outreach. I ridiculously di- dislike painting for like regular tournaments being a big deal. I don't have a big problem for like gigantic tournaments that people fly to. Like that's fine if you know that ahead of time. That's not gatekeeping new players, right? Like, and, I mean, except for GW games, like Adepticon's the only one where other games have to do painted. Right. Yeah, pretty much. And then, like, you know, Private Press has a couple, like, fully painted events, and I'm sure other companies do oh, as well. Yeah, when when you want to stream, that's right. Yep. Yeah, like Warfare Weekend Invitational, um, the Iron Gauntlet, things like that. And I'm sure that others have similar, like, this is the world championship, therefore everybody will play painted. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. I think that's fine. But, you know, make it as easy as physically possible for your new players to get into playing in tournaments because they will learn so much there. And if they have good opponents, which they should, um, then they will have a blast and they'll want to play more. And it, it's just good things for your hobby. All right. I think that's my rant. Let's talk about the questions that I, I won't maybe get in trouble with people over maybe. So, um, so, okay. So I, I've been improving at painting for a while now, and I have a co- you know a series of techniques under my belt. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I can I can say I know like I know what sketch style is. I know you know what glazing is, and like the but now I'm starting to struggle with choosing when to use each of them, mm-hmm. um, especially because like you're starting to get in dry brushing, and I'm like I can I thought that was a technique that was like not used as much, and now it's now it's coming back more mm-hmm. so what i really want to do is kind of like walk through your process of like looking at a new model and saying okay how should i approach this sure um so this is a complex question because the answer is i'm going to use lots of different techniques on every model probably at this yep. point um but let me go through a quick overview of some things that i've i've discovered that work really well for for different things um <clears throat> So, um, where shall I start? Let's just talk about some. Well, so yeah, how how do you start? So like, I always think about it, like I break it down by like type of surface, mm-hmm. and it's yep. like okay, which which technique do I want to apply to each surface? That's a good way to do it. Yeah. Um. So the way I usually start with a model is I start from the deepest part of the model and I work my way out. And what I mean by deepest is it's the part that has the most things on top of it. So on a troop model, that's usually the skin because there's nothing below the skin. Right. Yeah. There's, I've heard there's, it described as um, like paint your model like you're putting on clothes. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Um, the reason for this is there's a few. Uh, the first one is that it makes it really easy to not catch your old painting with the new painting. It's much less likely to accidentally slip your brush down into stuff than it is to catch things above it that are already painted as you're taking the brush in or pulling the brush out. So it's in that way, it's a, it's a laziness kind of thing because you're going to do less corrective work over time and you're going to accidentally mess up things much less often. Well, you kind of alluded to this, but as you improve in painting, a lot of what you see is benefits in time, right? It's you get faster than you make fewer mistakes. You, you can make these choices of techniques better. And so the, 
people. That's definitely it, part it of it. Yeah. Faster. Yeah. So as you get better at painting, so here's, <laughs> all right. So this is, this is a, this is a thing that drives everybody insane, but I'm going to do my best to describe it here. When you, when you're painting and you're practicing, there are two separate things that are improving at the same time and at different rates. The first thing that's improving is your physical ability to put paint where you want it in the correct, like transparency, shape, um, and colors, right? Um, that's like what people think of as painting. The other thing that's developing at the same time, but maybe not at the same speed is your ability to differentiate between good painting and bad painting because your eyes are also taking in things and learning to differentiate different like stroke patterns or um, how things were layered on or places where blends aren't quite as smooth, things like that. It's really interesting, actually. If you, if you look at good painters and then you look at great painters as a newer painter, there's virtually no difference. You cannot tell the difference between them. Now, there might be part mm -hmm. of you that goes, this great painter, I can definitely tell they're great. I have no idea why, right? Well, I, yeah, I just went to Adepticon. I walked around the whole Golden Demon. And I'm like, uh, why is this model that has a, you know, all these water effects and all this cool stuff? Why, why isn't it on the top row? And then right. I think that's exactly what you're describing. Yeah. And it's because uh, as a newer painter, you don't have the eye for being able to differentiate between the, the different things that are going on. Also, um, composition is a thing that happens more at an eye level than it does at a, at a hand level because you need to be able to like compose a thing in a way that makes sense. And we talked about this a lot in one of our earlier paint casts where your eye is drawn to first. Um, that's part of the composition, but also, um, and this is starting to get into like slightly higher, like this is going to be a display piece level ideas, which direction is the light coming from? And is it always coming from that direction on the model? Right. Um, things like, uh, should the shadow for that be that color or should it be a slightly different color? Um, these are all things that you have to consider as, as your eye gets better. Um, so the, the things that are improving as you get better at painting are both your ability to paint and also your ability to see problems. And the frustrating thing is that oftentimes what happens is you'll have an explosion of ability to paint better and then it will plateau and your ability to see better will get better also very quickly. And suddenly can, can confirm this is extremely frustrating. Yep. And suddenly <laughs> painting that you were pretty proud of not very long ago is like, wow, this is not very good. I don't feel like I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm getting annoyed with this. And it just happens constantly. This back and forth push and pull between the two things. Now, as far as looking at a model to decide what I'm going to do with it, uh, this like this largely depends on how well or how much effort I'm going to put into a thing. And mm -hmm. so I can talk a little bit about uh, let's I can break it into sort of like well, tabletop and I, I, high end. Sure. I, I do think it's interesting that one of the skills that I'm missing as a painter is the ability to predict how long it will take to do um, because like I'm like, this is taking so long. I don't understand. You're like, these are big models. What are you and you're doing a slow technique? What are you talking about? Yeah. No, it's and that's that's a thing that you just have to practice. Like I ha, have done it enough to the point where you can go, "Oh, this is like this other thing I did. It'll take me about yeah. this long." Like for example, right. you've never played Trollbloods like in a point where you were painting them all, right? Uh, no, I painted a bunch of trolls, not very well. Sure. But you never like <laughs> tried to glaze them, right? Oh god, no. So, if you had glazed a bunch of trolls back when you were playing trolls, you would find that you know how long a troll size model like these Oryx models takes to paint with glazes. Yeah. A um, long time. A long time. Um So, when I'm looking at something at a tabletop level, um what what I'm trying to do when I'm trying to get stuff to a tabletop level very quickly is I'm differentiating between something that looks cool and something that looks realistic. That's usually the break point in my head between those two things. Um, and so, 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 so you do a lot of time thinking about like whether you like what you want out of this model. So I think that's, that's another thing I'm struggling with. It's like, I, I want to paint well, but mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm getting frustrated that like this model I don't really care about is taking display levels amount of time. Right. 
Yeah, there's definitely some of that. And that's another thing that you just sort of have to get to with practice. Um, and this is actually one of those points where um, as your as your ability improves, your this is my whatever paint jobs improve dramatically faster than your top end does. Um, so if I'm going to paint something to like tabletop level, what that means I'm going to do, and this is actually true for all almost everything. First of all, I'm going to start with the darkest colors and I'm going to work up. And this is true at tabletop and at display level because it means that I always I never have to go back and find my shadows, which is very important for establishing contrast. And contrast is one of the things that can make a model look really good really fast. So if I'm going to start with skin color, it doesn't matter what skin color I'm start with, starting with. Uh, there's a scale 75 color called African Shadow, which is a very dark mahogany color. I always start with this. It doesn't matter what skin color I'm going to do. And then I build up from there. Um, because it's easier to find highlights because they have exactly. raised areas. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep, that is absolutely what it is. And also, if you hold your model with with your with black or um, even Zenithal priming, because Zenithal priming will do this for you, um, you can see where the highlights are supposed to be. Now, one of the other things that I've been doing a lot lately is I've not been base coating. And what I mean by that is I only paint with the shadow color where the shadows are going to be especially if I'm Zenithal um, priming. Uh, this this is basically, this is the layer after priming, right? Yep. Okay. So instead of, so you know how most people are told to like paint the whole area that you're going to paint with whatever your color is, right? Um, so imagine like, uh, uh, like a pectoral muscle on like a, on a big muscly orc or troll or human dude, right? When I'm painting that muscle, what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint the underside of it with my shadow color, and then I'm going to paint the bottom half of it with like my midtone. I'm going to paint the top half with my highlight, and that's just like my base coat. Is that's just it? I don't base coat it all with one color. That not only establishes my highlights and my shadows really quick, but it also means that if I want to, I can just sort of like wet blend those two together in a minute and call that good as far as blending goes and that can be a tabletop really really fast um so that's actually the first technique that i use a lot when i'm base coating is wet blending because it lets me get a really rough dark to light gradient that's fairly smooth with almost no time and i can do that about as fast as i normally base coat a model and that's a huge time saver um oh so wet blending is a technique where you're like blending it on the model itself yeah, so think about it like this. If, um, like, say, say you want a light color on, on, like, just imagine, like, a rectangle, and I want the top to be light, and I want the bottom to be darker. Mm -hmm. um, wet blending is where I take my, hold on, what color do I usually start with? I usually start with my dark color, and I put a thick, thick layer of it, like, not thick, thick, but, like, really, really unwatered down layer of it on the bottom half of the rectangle where I want it to be, like, up to a third. And then I rinse out my brush really quickly. I get my light color. I start at the top and I work down. And by the time I get to the dark color, it's still wet. And so I can just okay. then go back and forth on the direction that I want the blend to be um, going up and down with horizontal lines and blend on the model. And you very quickly get a gradient. Mm -hmm. um, so wet blending is a thing that I do a lot. The other thing that I do a lot is I use semi-translucent, like half partially thin paints over black primer to just start picking out the highlights and completely skip that first step where I'm putting in a shadow tone. This is another thing I do a lot when I'm painting for tabletop because shadows being black on the tabletop reads really well. So if you look at the picture of the Oryx model that I posted, if you look at his like skirt thing and you look really close, there's a bunch of black primer on there still because I just didn't paint that part at all. And you can't tell <laughs> until you look at it like really hard. Which is fine, because I painted that model in an hour, and that was the point. Um, so wet blending, and then the, uh, the, the process that I'm talking about now is called layering. And there's two ways to layer. You can do what I'm describing here, where you paint up from the darkest to the lightest, and that's it. You just like smaller areas of slightly lighter color every time. The other way you can do it is a way that uh, an incredible painter from Spain named Sergio Calvo Rubio paints. He calls them cappy bases. I don't know the meaning of this word, but that's just what he calls them. It's the same thing. You start with the darkest color and you work your way up. The difference is between each step, you take the color of paint that you just painted with upwards. So say you started with like a really dark brown, 
and then you moved up to like a slightly lighter brown. You take that slightly lighter brown and you glaze from the shadow area into the light area. And that makes the transition very smooth, very quickly. And then you move on to the next lighter color. And it creates this beautiful gradient very quickly. Um, it's, it's very easy to make it work on large areas as long as your brush control to make the shape of the next layer is pretty good. Um, so that's another thing that I, I tend to do a lot. Uh, the thing I've been experimenting with lately that you mentioned is dry brushing. I use this a lot to do big areas of stuff very quickly. If you use a good dry brush or even like a makeup brush, although I, I have to say I have now experimented with makeup brushes versus good dry brushes and makeup brushes are much worse. Um, they're not unusable. They're, they're still much better than like a flat brush, but they're not nearly as good. Um, you can't feel the, the bristles as, as well in the hand because they don't have the same elasticity that, that good like goat fur bristles do um yeah anyway side thing there um i use this to establish like really big areas of color very very fast um so like if this if a model is mostly skin and i'm going for like tabletop i will dry brush a dark tone then mid-tone then light tone then then i'll go back with a regular brush and do the really light tones i will do very little glazing like i might glaze back into the shadow a little bit like going from the light area to the dark area and uh, I'll call that good where it's at. That's what I did on that Oryx model. The skin took about seven minutes. It's very, very fast. Now mm -hmm. it's also got problems. If you look close at it, so there's a trade off. You can eliminate those problems with more work and time. That's where the glazes would come in. Um, but again, it's all about what you're doing now. Dry brushing can be a, a wonderful part of a really high-end table or paint job as well. It can do the same kind of things. It can cover big surfaces really nicely. It can make really smooth blends if you're willing to go with increasing, uh, changing the color very slowly from like a dark color to a light color. And another thing that's really important about dry brushing that people I think are figuring out now is that you don't actually want your brush to be super dry. You just want it to have less paint on it. And there's a big difference between those two things. If your brush is really dry, then you're going to get chalky looking paint coming off of it because there's no moisture, no binding um, agent for the pigment to flow onto the model with. And so it will just look like chalk. If there's not very much paint on the brush, but it's a little bit damp, it will go on very smoothly. Um, and you can do all kinds of interesting like rotational dry brush techniques where you like spin it in a circle and then go towards the center and or start in the center and work your way outwards and you can get some really nice gradients that way um th the uh, another technique that i use a lot is glazing i'm using this more and more to correct um problems in other techniques than i am on its own lately although sketch style you should still be primarily glazing um and then something that I do at the very end of every paint job or sometimes in the middle, depending on if the piece is going to be hard to get at if I'm in sub assemblies is called dark lining and dark lining is just a controlled version of what null oil does, which is why everybody calls null oil skill in a pot. Um, when you wash something with null oil, what it does is it makes a dark differentiation between every surface that you put it over. Dark lining is where you take a very thin brush and some paint and you line those surfaces so that there's a, a break between them for the eye to catch onto. It makes it look much cleaner than just leaving the two colors distinct from each other. Um, I don't like washes very much um, for the job that most people do with them. I think they are better used for other things, but dark lining is really really good and it does what they're trying to do the other thing i don't like about washes is they take forever to dry and that's okay if you're like just assembly lining a bunch of guys but if you're not which i'm usually not they suck because it's like well i guess i'm not working on this for the next 20 minutes while that dries Woo. yeah or you have to move on to like a completely different thing yeah which i always have like five things that i'm painting so it's not a huge deal but yeah oh i meant even on the same model oh yeah sure that works too but yeah, so I look at a model and I basically pick 
like if it's a big surface area, I'm going to dry, I'm going to dry brush it or I'm going to use layering and I'm going to glaze to fix the gradients. If it's a detailed little area, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to probably layer it with really fine layers and then glaze to, to make the transition smooth. Or if it's like a really textured thing like leather, I will just like make scratch marks in approximately the right places to make it look like it's beat up. If it's like really detailed fur or feathers or something, I'll start with a dry brush and then I'll use a brush to go from there to pick out um, extreme highlights. And I will always work from the outside or inside outward um, so that I, I have less chance of messing stuff up. That was probably a lot more of an explanation than you wanted, but... <laughs> no, it's... Um, I think just talking about... I think what I want to wrap up with is trying to talk yourself into like differentiating between um tabletop and display when you're more of an intermediate player or painter and like how you hold yourself back and how you make sure you don't judge yourself too harshly sure um hmm. so the best advice i can give as far as like not judging yourself particularly harshly is to think really hard and, and honestly about how much time and energy you've put into getting to the model that you're trying to paint really well compared to the person that you are comparing yourself to. Yeah. So that's always the killer. Right. And, and the thing is like, you know, you can put 50 hours into a model and, and uh, Mikel from land studios can put 50 hours into a model and they will look nothing like each other because he's put probably 20,000 hours of practice in. Um, so, and, and that's kind of something that people tend to forget is that it's not just the number of hours that you put into the model. It's the number of hours that you put in before the model that are going to really change the outcome. And, and not and maybe not even like, maybe you are in that area, but you're trying out something new. And that's going to, you know, something new is going to mess with you. That's fine. Um, and Harrison's the thief of joy here. <laughs> right. But, but the thing is, and uh, the, this is the part where comparison can be really fun, is if you look back at the things that you were painting six months to a year ago, if you've been painting regularly, you will probably see improvement or, and this is the other thing that people tend to get discouraged about, if they're, if they don't, if you look back at something from six months ago and it looks about the same as the thing you painted now, it can really help to keep track of how long things take to paint. Just like maybe mental notes are, are enough because I am willing to bet a reasonable amount of money that if you've been painting on a regular basis, the thing you painted now took you significantly less time than the thing you took six months, painted six months ago. And it looked pretty similar. And if you which think is of the next, which is, which is the next step to improving because now you have more time to spend on more difficult things. Right. Yep. That's a hundred percent how it is. Um, the other thing is not every model deserves to be painted to a display level. Um, and this is something that I struggle with a lot because I, I get into these, like these things where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to paint this whole army to like really, really high quality and it's going to look awesome. Um, but not, not everything in there needs to or really should be painted that well. Um, I had I have this problem a lot with army games because I want the whole thing to be consistent across the board. Um, this can be really fun. Like, for example, I'm painting some Harlequins right now. Um, by that, I mean I'm painting about one of them a week as a diversion from other projects and I'm having a blast because I'm giving myself a ton of time to paint these stupid little checkerboard patterns on these stupid little models. Uh, but the second there was a deadline introduced, the rest of the stupid little models would not be getting checkerboard patterns and maybe just the bigger models would. Right. Um, that's part of the reason why I really enjoyed painting these chaos nights because there were six of them that I had to get done in eight weeks. That's a lot of time for six models. And even though they're big, it meant that I got to focus on doing the things that I really wanted to do, which was non-metallic metal practice and freehanding everywhere. Yeah, because you did a painting on all of them, right? 
Uh, all the, yeah, pretty much. I didn't put paintings on like one of the little guys cause mm-hmm. I wasn't sure where it would fit, but yeah. Um, so th- that's the other thing is if you want to paint something to a display standard, the first thing to do is to find a model that deserves to be painted to that level. And that doesn't mean that the model has to be huge. In fact, I highly recommend not painting a huge model for your first, like I'm pushing myself model. Um, They take a lot longer and I mean a lot longer. My first, sorry, go ahead. And there's a lot more time. There's a lot more time where, you know, you make a mistake and have to start over or like you make a mistake that ruins the whole, the whole display. Yeah. Although again, uh, the thing that I always tell new painters to remember is that you can just paint over it. Right. So there's very few break points in a lot of models where you can't just like paint black over the little area you messed up and then do it again. Um, I guess, uh, I guess, I guess not ruin the whole model. There's, there's a lot more chances to do something like perform a technique poorly and have to do it again. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, heck, uh, do you know who Ben Comets is? Or Ben mm-hmm. Comets? He's an incredible, incredible painter. He's got like a couple dozen golden demon, a couple dozen slayer swords. Um, just an absolutely incredible painter. Uh, he had a YouTube channel called Painting Buddha a couple years ago. And in there, he goes to paint a, I want to say like 85 millimeter scale eye. And in the demo, he actually goes in and he has to do it like twice or maybe three times. And they they were talking about like editing, like his uh, his friend who was like doing commentary was like, well, maybe we'll just edit this part. And I was like, no, it's really important that people see that you can just go back in. Like he just base coated the the white of the eye again and then went back and mm-hmm. repainted the pupil and the iris a couple of times. Right. And he's like, this guy is a legend. He is so good mm-hmm. that I'm only barely now starting to understand some of what he was talking about. Um, and he's just like, no, you know what? I messed this up. She's looking the wrong way. All right, <laughs> let's do this again. It's like, oh, and and just to yeah, normalize that's what happens. Yeah. Like it happens. I repaint parts of display models all the time Mm because you mess up and it's fine because it's just paint. If you mess up and you're like doing a resin pour for a water effect, then you're kind of screwed. But, uh, you know, as long as it's just paint, it's just paint. And um, so I'd recommend for first time display models, something that's medium sized. Uh, like if you're playing 40 K, a Terminator size model is a really good one to start with. Uh, if you're playing something like lots, war- lots of big surfaces, but and but still enough different stuff going on. Yeah. So you have enough space, enough space to show that you can make really nice gradients with the, the dark to light. You have enough space. You have enough like little details to show off your ability to pick them out really well and make them stand out. There's, uh, there's plenty of dynamic, Um, movement in a lot of those models to allow you to frame something really nicely to put composition of color and contrast in a way that's going to make it really pleasing. Um, And it's also small enough that you aren't going to spend more than about 20 to 30 hours on it, which is a lot of time I'm aware, but you know, that's kind of where you have to be uh, to, to be doing that. Um, for something like War Machine, a 40 millimeter like Warcaster, one of the preferably one of their newer sculpts. I've been painting some like high tabletop, low display, old War Machine models this week, and boy, do not recommend if you're trying to do that to display standard. Some of these models are rough. Um, and then you have in, to like invent where you have to like invent details. Yeah, yeah, you do. It's a it's a process. Um, Infinity has a bunch of beautiful medium-sized models that, you know, are just gorgeous. Any of the, like, overdrawns, the, the smaller ones? Oh, yeah, any, I think any heavy imagery, right? Especially yeah, the newer and, ones. Yep, 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 yep. Um, I don't know anything about Malifaux aside from that I really liked painting their models when I had their models, and so I imagine they're still all excellent once they're uh, Yeah, they're still all plastic. They've root... They, it, the best part about it is if you don't like the model that you have in your hand, there's probably two or three other versions of it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And then they, re- uh, they re-release their whole line every, every edition. Youch. That's commitment right there. 
Um, and then for Marvel Crisis Protocol, I really recommend a hero that is not wearing black mostly and would be bigger, like one of the medium sized ones. Um, again, like you don't want to be painting one of the smaller guys. Um, but, you know, actually, I'm looking at Miss Marvel right now. She's perfect. She's yeah. got an incredible dynamic sculpt. She's got really cool, like, things with cloth going on. She's plenty big, but she's not too big. Uh, she's got really interesting, like, hair movements that you could accent or not as, as you choose. Um, Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel? Miss Marvel. Okay. The big one. The big one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the little one doesn't have any of those things. No, the little one is, what if this was a single piece? <laughs> uh, yeah. I still can't believe that. It's so amazing. I'm totally fine with it. I, I have no issues with this at all. Um, and then the other thing that I really highly recommend is uh, finding yourself somebody to talk to and send pictures to, even if that's like in a discord that you happen to be part of like ours, for example, uh, link is in the show notes um, or nice. subbing a Patreon. There's a bunch of really good miniature painters on Patreon really quickly. The ones that I would, highly recommend off the top of my head are Sergio Cavalrubios, like I said, Richard Gray. Um, these are both really excellent painters that do a very good job breaking their techniques down to something uh, more manageable for most people. Um, if you want to be really pushed, I recommend Flameon Miniatures. He's, he's a guy who's at the point where I can't begin to... I'm, I'm at the edges of being able to describe how he paints. It's wild. I've never seen anything like that. Um, Another one in that category of, whoa, that's that's a thing, is Katarzyna Zorska. I think that's how you pronounce her name. It's Kaha. Um, she paints like nobody else in the whole world. I've mentioned her at least once in previous painting casts. They all have really good Patreons for this kind of stuff. Um, they're all excellent, excellent, excellent painters. Um, then the other thing is, if you can afford to, and you can go take a class in, in Europe from either Sergio uh, Roglin Studio or Mikel from Land Studio, do it. Because, dear heavens, that's the best that you can possibly do. All right. So, I think that's an episode. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to go support those people on Patreon that we just mentioned, you can. But you can also support us on Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash LOSWarmachine, where you can get access to our episodes a week early, vote in contests and polls to... Uh, choose an episode every month you can also back a high enough tier that you get to suggest topics or even force us to do topics if you want um, so go check that out it's patreon.com slash los war machine you can find our facebook page which is line of sight you can message any of us there or on our discord which as i mentioned is pinned in the show notes for all of our episodes uh it's a getting kind of big now one of our mods was like yeah we've got to be like a thousand people and i'm like oh no 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 we're we're getting way bigger than that um so come hang out there. It's got awesome game channels for a lot of different games and boom and hobby hobby channel and stuff happening all the time. You can also send any of us a message on Facebook because we're pretty friendly and you can email us at loswormahords at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.